Well, again, good morning. Uh, it is uh, good for us to be together and to open God's Word. And the portion of His Word that we're going to be looking at this morning is Psalm 59. Psalm 59. Uh, if you are new to our church, maybe this is your first week or your uh, a recent visitor, we go through the Psalms every summer. Uh, every summer we return to them, and we hop around in the Psalms as we come each summer, um, looking at different genres, different portions of the Psalter. And this morning we're looking at Psalm 59, which is a Psalm of David. A psalm of David, it's also a lament, a lament Psalm. Now when I say that word lament, uh, some of you might think lament sounds like complaint. Right? It sounds like the, the psalmist, if you've read a lament before, they're just coming to God and they're just complaining. They're upset, they're frustrated, they're annoyed, and so they're just bringing complaints before God. And so we might have a negative connotation with lament. Or maybe for others of us, we come to lament and we think, well, lament is, is really a, a demonstration of unbelief. That lament is, is the product of having little faith. That those of great faith, of true faith, of true belief, well, well, they don't lament because they only trust. But in reality, lament is a demonstration of trust. Lamentation is a demonstration of faith because to lament, in order to lament, that action, those words, they are birthed out of a belief that God can actually help us in our need. And so David laments, and he laments a lot, <laughs> not just in this psalm, but there are 73 psalms in the Psalter. The Psalter is another name that we use to describe the 150 psalms in the Old Testament. There are 73 of them that are ascribed to David in the title. Now, we know that he wrote more than 73 of them. We know this because of different passages in other parts of the Bible that refer to David writing a particular psalm that isn't ascribed to him in the psalm itself. But of those 73 that are ascribed to David, 41 of them are lament. So that means that David lamented more than he sang songs of joy. It means he lamented more than he penned psalms of wisdom, or he lamented more than he even spoke of the coming Messiah. David laments over half of his psalms. And y'all, this is actually very encouraging to me. Lament is sad. They are words of heartfelt emotion, but this is encouraging to me because there are often times when I and when you experience things in this world or in our lives, and we have no words to describe it. When our emotions are so deep and there is so much sadness welling up in our hearts that we can't find the words to express what we are dealing with. And yet God gives us the words. He gives us the words that should be on our lips in those moments. God gives us the words to cry out to him in our time of need. We have language to express our need. We have Psalm 59. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 59. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. 
For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Selah. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the word of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and ask that as we come to it now that you would give us eyes of faith, that you would help us to see your beauty and your goodness, that you would deepen our trust in you and that you would lead us in the way that we are to go. Father, we are in need of your help and your grace, and so we ask that you would meet with us now and allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to please you. For you are our God and our King. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, many of you know that uh, a little over two months ago, I had a little run-in with a chainsaw. <laughs> so, uh, so I was cleaning up uh, some wood in my backyard, and I had a couple trees taken down, and, you know, I worked out a deal with the, the tree people. They'd just drop the wood, and I would clean up myself because I have a chainsaw, and I've done this, you know, many, many times, and it's not a big deal, and so I'll save a little bit of money. And so, so finally, I got around to cleaning up my yard. And the other day, about a, two months ago, I took my chainsaw and I went out and I started cutting up the wood and I started cleaning up all those logs and I started cutting them all up ready for a fire. And, and as I was cutting, I'm wearing my goggles, safety goggles, I'm wearing gloves, I'm wearing earplugs, I'm being very careful as I have every other time that I've been out there doing this. And on this occasion, I'm cutting and I'm going down and all of a sudden the piece of wood, it starts to teeter. It starts to wobble a little bit. And so I take my hand quickly off the trigger and I reach around to steady the piece of wood. And as the chain is slowing, it clipped my wrist. And there was a lot of blood. <laughs> and so I drop the chainsaw very quickly. And with my hand, I grab hold of my wrist and I go running up into the house and into the kitchen. And I yell to Kat, uh, I, I cut myself. And from the other room, she goes, with what? 
I said, with the chainsaw, and now the whole family comes running into the kitchen, and I'm, I'm washing it under the sink, and, and Kat's running down with a rag, and I wrap it up, and I tie it off, and I get in the van, and I drive over to the ER. And I walk into the ER, and there is a familiar face. One of our doctors, Chad Mosby, a member of our church, was working at the ER that morning. And so he takes me back, and he takes a look, and he cleans it out. He makes me wash it under water for 10 minutes, which, by the way, that doesn't feel very good, like a big wound with water. Anyway, so he makes me do this for 10 minutes, and he comes back, and he, you know, moves my hand around, and he looks closely, and, and he says, you're, you're going to be okay. Put some stitches in it. And so, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, no big deal, no harm, no foul, a little bit of pain, a lot of blood, a really cool scar, and maybe a sermon illustration. <laughs> But as Chad's sewing me up, he actually shared a little bit more with me about my wound. He said, you're actually very fortunate, Penny, because a few millimeters over, and you would have hit the artery. And a few more millimeters, and you would have hit a tendon. And a little bit deeper, and you would have definitely hit bone. And then I wouldn't be me stitching you up. We'd be sending you to Carilion because you'd be needing surgery. And in that moment when he told me that, I was reminded of how fragile I am. Like, that's something that I've done. I, I, I don't know how many. I mean, I've used my chainsaw enough that it warranted me buying a chainsaw. And yet there I was in the ER being, being stitched up. It reminded me of how fragile I am. And if you would have asked me before that, if, if I had to go up against a chainsaw, blood and uh, uh, skin and bone, like what's going to be stronger, a chainsaw or me? I would have told you intellectually, well, of course, a chainsaw. It is no match for skin and bone and vessels, right? But, but to have this occasion, this event, it reminded me of how fragile I am. And we know the fragility of life. Not just our physical being, but we know the fragility of, of, of walking through the valley of suffering. We are reminded of our fragility when we hear words of diagnosis, when we feel the emotional torment of sin. These and other things like it, they remind us of how fragile we truly are. I know this, and so do you. And David knew it. He knew the fragility of life. As we read, did you hear the danger that confronted him? In verse 3, he tells us, Men lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. He says later that they're like dogs. They're howling. They're prowling. They're ready to devour. They're ready to kill him. David's life is in danger. And if you read throughout the Psalter, all 150 psalms, you would come to a lot of psalms that speak like this, of evil men, of wicked men seeking danger, of seeking evil, of seeking to put to death the author of the psalm. You would hear this countless times, but what's unique about this psalm is David actually gives us the context. Sometimes we're not told who these men are or why they're coming. But David tells us, look before verse 1 in our passage. Right beside the 59, probably in your Bible, it says this, To the choir master, according to do not destroy, a mictam of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. 
See, these words, they're not added by the English translator of our Bibles. The words, maybe in your Bible, it says in bold, deliver me from my enemies, right above Psalm 59. That's added by the English translators. These small cap words, they are part of the original Hebrew. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, it's 59 verse 1 to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy. And oftentimes in these titles, what we're giving, given is the author of David or a musical notation. They were supposed to sing this to Do Not Destroy. I don't know what that tune is. <laughs> we're not sure. Probably was very kind of warlike, right? Don't, don't. But anyway, we don't know. But what we do know is that this was a time when Saul was wanting to kill David. David penned this in remembrance or maybe even in the midst of 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel 19 is when David is in his home and his wife Michael comes to him and tells him, his wife, Michael, who's also Saul's daughter, by the way, comes and says, my, my father has sent men to come and kill you. They're coming to surround you. And so Michael devises this really in, uh, very neat plan, this great way of preserving David. She lowers him out of the window, and then she takes an idol and sticks it in bed and puts some, some sort of like hair from an animal so it looks like David, and he's kind of sick, and they're going to tell everybody he's sick, kind of like Ron in the seventh book of Harry Potter, what they did, you know, at the beginning, kids. Y'all know. There we go. Yeah, so that's what they kind of did with David. So when they show up, they would think David's sick. It's actually ingenious. If you have time, maybe later today or this week, go and read 1 Samuel 19. It's a wonderful story. But the point is, is that they had to do this because David's life was in jeopardy. Because Saul was sending men to kill him, to take his life. And the amazing thing is David did nothing to warrant this. In verses 3 through 4 of Psalm 59, he says, For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine they run and make ready. Now listen, David's not saying he's perfect. David's not saying he's without sin, for he knows that he has sinned. In fact, we have other psalms that speak of his sin, like Psalm 51. He knows he has sinned, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know this, but in regards to this situation, in regards to this circumstance, David has done nothing to warrant Saul wanting to kill him. In fact, David has been upright. He sought Saul's good, and yet because of Saul's jealousy, because of his anger, because of his sin, he wants David dead. David, the one who struck down the giant and the one who defeated soldiers and was mighty in battle and served the king and was strong and courageous, his life is fragile. It's fragile. And we know this. Y'all, there are times when we experience harm in this life and it had nothing to do with us. Sometimes it's just a result of living in a world that is feeling the effects of the fall. And other times, it's because we have been sinned against and we have done nothing to warrant that sin. And in those times, these words are a great comfort. They remind us that, that we are fragile, but, but where do we go in our fragility? What do we do with it in our time of need? 
Well, David, he could have looked to his own strength. He could have mustered troops. He could have called to arms. Remember, the people loved David. They had said Saul had killed his thousand, but, but David, his ten thousands, he could have mustered the troops and went to war against Saul, but, but he doesn't do any of that. No, instead, David doesn't look to himself when he's reminded of his fragility. Instead, he looks to the strength of God. He calls out to God's strength because he's confident that God sees him in his distress and he's confident that God will seek justice. Look at verse 7. David's enemies, they don't think anyone will hear them as they bellow with their mouths, as they threaten with sword in their lips. They think, who will hear us? So these evil ones, they believe that they're going to get away with evil. That no one will hear them and that no one, if anyone does hear them, no one will do anything. But what does David say to that? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. God laughs at them. You see, they think what they're doing is being ignored is not heard, is not seen. But David tells us that God does hear and she does see those who threaten his life. And, and this means that God sees and hears David's distress. And y'all, the same is true of us. God is not blind to your pain. And God is not deaf to your cries. It may feel like that sometimes. I mean, even David, he said, rouse yourself, God. So you get the sense that maybe he, he's wondering, like, God, why aren't you acting yet? But, but God is not asleep. He's not ignoring your situation. He knows it intimately. I mean, do you remember Jesus? In the Gospel of Luke, we're told he came to a little town of Nain. And as he came to the, the gates of the town, there was a funeral procession coming out. And there would have been a great deal of noise and commotion. There was a funeral procession for this boy. And we're told that Jesus saw his mother, the widow of Nain, who with her son's death would have meant she would die as well. There would be no one to care for her. And in the midst of the commotion, in the midst of the sadness, Jesus saw her. He wasn't blind to her pain. Or do you remember in the Gospel of John when Jesus comes to the town where Lazarus has died and he comes and he hears Lazarus' friends and family and they are weeping. Jesus heard their cries and he wept with them. Y'all, Jesus hears your cries. He has not gone deaf to them. And Jesus sees your pain. He, He is not blind to them. God knows what we are experiencing. He sees and he hears your need. And that is why David calls out to him, but not just because he is confident that God sees him, but also because he is confident of God's justice. Look how the psalm began. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. You see, David is confident that God is going to deliver him because he is confident about who God is. He knows who God is. As I read through the psalm, did you notice how many different ways, different words and characteristics and titles David used to describe God? He calls him my God, 
the Lord, the Lord God of hosts, which is a military term, our shield, a refuge, my fortress, and my strength. And many of these he repeats. You see, David is confident that God will bring about justice, that he will deliver him, because this is who God is. He is the one who is a refuge. He is the one who is a stronghold. He is the Lord of hosts. That God will bring justice. Look at verses 11 through 13. David says, kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down. O Lord, our shield, for the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. You see, David is calling for justice to be brought about to be brought upon them. But as we read David's call for justice, it might seem a little confusing to us. Because in verse 11, did you notice he said, kill them not? But then verse 13, what does he say? Consume them in wrath. So which is it? Well, it's yes. (laughs) It's both. You see, David's looking at this in two parts. So initially he says, do not kill them. And why? lest my people forget. And so what he's saying here, what he's doing is he's wanting their sin to be made known. He's wanting it to be exposed. And what he's wanting the people of God to see is the result of their sin. He's wanting the the people of God to know that slander and cursing and lies and sin, these are not the way of the Lord. So in the immediate, he's wanting his people to learn from the sin of these evil people. But in the, in the future, David still calls for justice. Consume them in wrath. Now, I imagine that that language might make some of us feel a little uncomfortable. That David is asking the Lord, the king of the universe, to consume someone in wrath. And it might make us feel a little uncomfortable because when we think of God, we think of God as a God of love and a God of benevolence and of grace and mercy. And he is all those things. Don't hear what I'm not saying. God is love. First John tells us that. He is love. And God himself called himself a God full of grace, merciful and abounding with steadfast love. He is those things and he is also a God of justice. You see, his love does not negate his justice. And that's good. Because we need a just God. Because y'all humans, we're not great at pursuing justice. I mean, look around at the world. Look at the world around us. It's clear we're not good at pursuing justice. Right? We don't have to look very hard and see the evil that's perpetrated against the weak and the poor, against the unborn, and against different ethnicities, and against children and the elderly, right? There is injustice all around us, and we could go on and on about it. There is injustice all around us, and so we need one who can and does and will bring justice. And out of his love for his world and for his people, God does. We see it in this psalm. And David calling for God's justice, but we see it most clearly in the cross. 
Because it's in the cross that Jesus took God's punishment on himself. And he showed his love for his people by taking God's wrath that we deserved on himself. You see, in the cross, what we have is love, God's perfect love and his perfect justice, and they kiss. They meet in that one moment, and we see both demonstrated. But God's justice doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there because there is a day coming when our Lord Jesus will return. And when he does return, he will put an end to evil and to wickedness and to sadness and to despair and to death and to murder and to slavery and to prostitution and to sickness and to every bit of evil that we experience. It will be no more. That is the day that we await and that is the day that has promised when justice and love will reign forever. Y'all, that is the kind of God that we need. And that is the God that we are given in the Bible. That is the God that we serve and we love and who has called us by name. Who shows his strength and his power. And when we know this, when we know that God sees our fragility and he acts with justice, that he is stronger than even our fragile state, when we know this, we will do what David does. We will sing. We will sing the song of his people. The psalm ends, O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. David sings. He sings of who God is and what he has done and what he will do. But notice something. Before this beautiful concluding remark, David already spoke of singing. See, a little bit before verse 17, in verses 14 and 15, David says, Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. David is saying that the evildoers, the bloodthirsty men, they're looking to devour him. And in this situation, not just in times of peace, not just in times of ease, but even in this situation when they are seeking his life, what does he say? Their lips are full of evil and wickedness and lies. Verse 16, but I will sing of your strength. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. You see, David sings of God's strength even when distress surrounds him. Because though in distress, he is sure that God will not fail. That God has been his fortress and his refuge in the past. And in this moment and in the future, he will be again. And so he sings. He sings, and so too do we. When confronted by how fragile we are, we sing. When we see injustice in this world, we sing for God's justice to prevail. When we know that God sees and hears us in our distress and are confident that he will have victory over evil, we sing, O oh my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in the midst of our sadness and our despair, 
in the midst of our sin and in the midst of the evil and wickedness that might surround us, that you have not left us to ourselves, but you see your people. You hear our cries and you are near. And by your strength, you will have victory. For you, Lord Jesus, has already defeated death and hell and the grave. And so we long for that day when you will return and you will consummate your kingdom and we will reign with you forever and ever. And so we say with one voice, come, Lord Jesus, come and make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus, and establish justice on this earth. Come, Lord Jesus, and allow your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, so that we would know your love and your justice. And we pray in Christ's name. And God's people said together, amen.